And so, Lord God, we ask that you would help us to believe this stuff we sing. Uh, we pray that you would help us to preach. We, we sing, I will fear no evil. God, what about the evil in us? Um, would you help us to believe now? Would you help us to preach? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Look at all my trials and tribulations Sinking in a gentle pool of wine Don't disturb me now, I can see the answers Till this evening is this morning, life is fine Always hoped that I'd be an apostle Knew that I would make it if I tried Then when we retire We can write the gospel So they'll still talk about us when we I love that. That's music from pretty much the greatest musical ever written, Jesus Christ Superstar. And that's the song that the disciples sing at the Last Supper. And I think it pretty much accurately describes the mindset of the disciples on that night. I mean, remember, things have been going according to plan, their plan, you know. Um, Jesus is raising people from the dead. Cool stuff is happening. They come into Jerusalem with triumphal entry and all that kind of stuff. Now they get to the Last Supper and Jesus is talking crazy talk. Chapter 13, verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know, that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, um, Lord, where are you going? Now it makes sense that Peter would be the one that would ask this question because you remember in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus looks at Peter and says, you are Petros, you are rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now I think Peter probably heard something like, you will build my church, 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 church. The word church is a little bit misleading. In Greek, it's the word ekklesia. It means people called out. And so Israel was to be the church. Jerusalem uh, was to be the church. And now these 12 disciples are somehow the church. The church is the society of God on earth. And so every believer is a part of its construction. Church is the society in this room. And yet, it's also your, your friends, it's your family, it's your acquaintances, it's your network, it's society in subjection to God, it's the kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's life. Well, Peter feels responsible for that. 
I think we kind of all do. So Peter has been developing a plan almost subconsciously ever since he met Jesus, maybe even before, and certainly since Jesus said that stuff to him in Matthew chapter 16. He's been developing a plan with his will, his free will, or what he thinks is his free will. He takes his knowledge of good and evil and constructs a plan. That is a way to get to church, a way to get to the kingdom. And he has rules for the implementation of his plan. The, the first, of course, is this. Peter, do not fail. It's his plan. Um, you cannot fail. Don't lose control. And second, of course, is this. Do not let anything bad happen to Jesus. Above all, do not let Jesus be crucified. And so Peter says to Jesus, Oh, oh Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Ironic, if you think about it. I'll lay down my life for you? Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Oh. Imagine how Peter felt at that moment. Jesus is leaving. All the disciples are failing. Satan is raging. In Luke, it's at the point that Jesus uh, turns to Peter and says, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I've prayed that your faith would not fail. Not that he wouldn't have you, not that he wouldn't be sifted, but just that your faith would not fail. So Jesus tells Peter, number one, I'm leaving, and, 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 and by the way, Peter, the rock, you who think that you are so faithful and so solid and so secure, before this evening is over, you will deny me three times. You will fail. We sing, I will fear no evil, but what about the evil in me? Peter, you will fail. And if I'm Peter, what do I do at, at this moment? Well, uh, 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 I get troubled. I get troubled in order to fix the trouble. I, I implement my plan, my plan, or I rewrite my plan, my plan for faithfulness. If I'm Peter, I get troubled. And if I'm Jesus, what do I say next? Peter, you should be troubled. Peter, you should be, this should motivate you, Peter, to adjust some things, take some action steps to get back on plan. Get troubled so you can fix the trouble. And there is trouble. Jesus is leaving. In the morning, he will be crucified. The earth will shake. The sun will refuse to shine. Israel, Jerusalem, the temple, human religion, it will all, it will all fail. Judas will hang himself in the valley of Gehenna. Satan will rage and all the disciples will flee. And now Jesus informs Peter, the Pope, tonight you will deny me three times. And what's the very next thing that Jesus says?
Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry, Peter. Be happy. In every life we have some trouble. When you worry, you make it double, so don't worry. Be happy. Jesus, this is the wrong time to be singing the Don't Worry, Be Happy song. And yet that's what happens. I mean, you can read it. It's right, it's right here. Chapter 13, verse 38. The rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. Next verse, 14.1. Let not your heart be troubled. You realize chapter divisions were added to Scripture 1,500 years after it was written? Obviously, by some guy that thought, oh, there's obviously got to be a break here. But you see, in the original conversation <laughs> from Jesus, there was no break. So Jesus says, Peter, you and your plans will fail. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't let your heart be troubled. That's troubling to me. Why? Because troubling my heart is how I get things done. Verse 27, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I mean, if I wasn't motivated by fear, I mean, I've thought about this a lot. If I wasn't motivated by fear, I'm afraid that I would not be motivated at all. Fear of not getting paid, fear of being embarrassed, fear that my sermon will that I, that I might disappoint God or, or be sent to hell, fear that I have to preach a sermon on not letting your heart be troubled, my heart is troubled, fear that I might be last, fear that I might be least, fear that I might lose control, fear that I might lose my life. Fear. If it weren't for fear, I doubt that I'd make any plans at all, get anything done at all, work or run at all. I mean, without fear, I'd be terrified, just terrified. <laughs> Let not your hearts be troubled. And check this out, it's a command. It's a command. So Jesus isn't saying, guys, your hearts, well, they don't have to be troubled. He's saying, no, your hearts must not be troubled. It's like fear is not the way, trouble is not the way, troubled hearts is not the way to where you need to get. Like fear may cause you to run, and it may even cause you to run faster, but it causes you to run in the wrong direction. So Richard Rohr writes this, the greatest enemy of faith is not doubt. In fact, honest doubt is part of getting to faith. The greatest enemy of faith is not doubt. The greatest enemy of faith is fear. Most of the world is controlled by fears. Petty fears control people. Great fears control nations. Soren Kierkegaard wrote this. It's true. Fear deceptively offers to help us. It offers to keep us on the right track. Yet the one who strives in fear never becomes God's friend. Fear is a deceitful aid. The good will tolerate no alien helper. In an incredible situation once, my wife heard the Lord say this. With fear, with fear, you put flesh on the evil one. Now, the, the fear of God is 
the beginning of wisdom. In fact, maybe it's all he has to work with at the start. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And, and, and so if I choose fear, well, then I'm like casting myself out of the presence of love, and God is love. So fear puts flesh on the evil one. And faith puts flesh on God. Faith puts flesh on God. And what is that flesh? Us! Right? I mean, we are the body of Christ. We're the body. We're the house of God. We're the temple. We're the sanctuary. We're the church. You can't build the church with fear. But like Peter, I try to build the church with fear, his house with fear. And so I make plans in fear. I guard them in fear. I, I try to build the church with fear. And then, and then when I fail, you know what I do when I fail? Seems to happen a lot. I get really, I get really troubled and I, I cry out to God, God, I don't know what to do. God, what is the plan? I don't know what to do. I don't know. What, would you just tell me what to do? I don't know what to do. And he's already told me what to do. Peter, don't let your heart be troubled. Even when you fail. Especially when you fail. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord. That, that means don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding, your plans. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Trust in the Lord. Any moment, trust in the Lord, and he will move the path under your feet. Trust in the Lord, and he will adjust all creation. You know, he made it. Trust in the Lord and he will adjust the plan and that's the plan. Trust in the Lord and he will build his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Trust in the Lord. How do I trust in the Lord? Don't let your heart be troubled. How? Should I be troubled that my heart might be troubled which seems to me would just be more trouble more me, more of the problem. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Was Jesus troubled? Check this out. John eleven thirty three. 33. Jesus is troubled by Mary, Martha, and Lazarus's troubles. John 12, 21, Jesus says his soul is troubled at the thought of his crucifixion. John 13, 21, Jesus' spirit is troubled as he says, one of you will betray me. And when he cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I, to me, he seems troubled. And Jesus is not to blame for any of that trouble. We are. And so it's like he takes our troubles and tells us not to be troubled. You know, Jesus went where we cannot go. On the cross, 
He took our troubles and bore them to destruction. Theologically, we'd say it this way. He took our sin and bore it to destruction. He took our flesh and bore it to destruction. He delivered our plans to God's plan, and that's the plan. On the cross, Jesus revealed the depths of God's love, grace. So how do I not let my heart be troubled? By seeing that Jesus bears my troubles, my failures. By seeing love. And perfect love casts out fear. My old prison of fear. My flesh. Once I really had this like supernatural encounter with God, and I, and I saw, I really saw his love for me. And it was so weird because like for a month afterwards, I couldn't worry. I mean, it, I just couldn't do it. It was just utterly illogical. And then as I walked in this world for a while, it, it wore off. Well, Jesus says, Peter, you will fail. I think that's my greatest fear. Peter, you, you will fail. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. You believe also in me. Now, now it's interesting that Judas had just left. Judas wasn't there when Jesus says this. Jesus reveals that Judas wasn't clean. It's the word that makes us clean. And so that word had found no place in Judas. It doesn't mean that we'll never find a place in Judas. But for now, Judas will be trapped in his troubles. And so, so to, the, to the 11, Jesus says, you believe. Now, it's really interesting, but that statement can be translated in either the indicative tense or the imperative. In other words, it can be translated as a statement of fact. Uh, maybe it's a statement of fact or maybe it's a command. And if it's a command, John has made it clear there's not a command that we can simply decide to do or not to do. Believe, which means trust, which also means have faith. They all come from the same word group in the Greek. Have faith. Faith is a gift. Faith is a miracle. Faith is a life begotten in us. It's something that God creates within us by grace. Like a baby is created in the womb of the mother. You know, a mother can't take credit for making a baby. Do you know that, Jasmine? A mother can't take credit for that. But, but it does help if the bride surrenders to the groom. And we're the bride, and Jesus is the groom. And we must surrender to our groom. And we must fall in love with our groom. But if we take credit for falling in love, oh, aren't it great because I fell in love? Well, then maybe we really haven't fallen in love. And if we think we can just go out and make a baby, well, maybe we've never really seen a real baby or real fruit. Faith is fruit. Faith is the word of God finding a place in us. And, and the word is a seed. In Greek, sperma. Faith is the word begotten in us. Faith, and check this out. Faith is choosing the good 
in freedom. Faith is choosing the good above all else, choosing God, choosing God above all else, and God is love. Faith is a good free will. Faith is free will. And that's what God wants. And yet you've been reading it with me. In the Gospel of John, it seems like everything and everybody is predestined. Chapter 12, the Pharisees are predestined. 1239, therefore they could not believe. Didn't didn't have a choice, they could not believe. 1321, one of you will betray me. Judas is predestined. His bad choice is predestined. 1338, Peter, you will deny me three times and, and it's predestined all according to plan. Even your failure, especially your failure. Israel, the Pharisees, Judas, Peter, all your plans will submit to God's God's plan, some bigger plan. In other words, you will be frustrated. And it's predestined. Last week, Susan and I saw a pretty interesting movie. Ridiculous in places. But it does raise some pretty unridiculous questions. Like, are we predestined? And and is there such a thing as free will? This is the trailer. Just staring at my legs. I was defenseless against the small dress. (laughs) What if every choice you made was controlled by a higher plan? Their plan. Hey! Grab him. But you've just seen behind a curtain that you weren't even supposed to know existed. On March 4th. You can change the world. That doesn't happen. Stay with her. Fight for your fate. They want to take you away from me. We tried to reason with you. The Adjustment Bureau. The Adjustment Bureau. The Adjustment Bureau makes sure that you follow the plan. One of the messengers from the Adjustment Bureau says, you only think you have free will. And then, then, then this uh, Adjustment Bureau agent reveals, oh, sure, you can choose between pizza and cheeseburgers, but all your choices that matter are predetermined according to the plan. The Adjustment Bureau is like the principalities and powers of this world. In Scripture, fallen humanity is under the control of fallen angels, and yet even they are being controlled by God and His angels. Even Satan is predestined according to the plan. John even describes it in the Revelation. Well, in the movie, according to the plan, Matt Damon is destined to be president which, by the way, is his plan, his, his dream. And Emily Blunt is uh, predestined to be like the world's greatest choreographer, which is her dream, um, her plan. But an angel misses an assignment such that Matt and Emily meet on a bus and begin to fall in love, which is not according to plan. The, the angel, the messenger from the Adjustment Bureau, tries to get them back on plan. And, and then the angels inform Matt Damon that unless he complies with the plan, they'll erase his mind. He'll lose his life. So the whole movie, you wonder, what's the plan? Predestination or free will? Anyway, it's just kind of interesting. Well, Jesus says to Peter, you believe, you believe. Now, that could be a command or a statement of 
fact. If it's a command, it couldn't be one that we can simply choose or not choose to, to obey. Perhaps it's a, it's a command like, let there be light. Let us make man in our own image and likeness. Let there be faith. Could be a command. However, we know that it's at least a statement of fact. Peter, let not your, your heart be troubled, for, for you do believe we know that the word had found a place in Peter because Jesus even says it. Peter, you, you are clean, clean by the word that I've spoken unto you. And Jesus said, I've prayed that your faith won't fail. So Peter has some faith. But what's the problem? He just doesn't have very much of it. But maybe you don't need very much. Like all you need is a, a seed like a mustard seed. According to Scripture, you know, the Word is a seed and faith is a seed. In fact, Jesus himself is the promised seed. Eternal, incorruptible seed. Karl Barth wrote this. One may, of course, be confused, frustrated, and one may doubt, but whoever once believes has something like an character in Deblis, an indelible character, he is being upheld. Everyone who has to contend with unbelief, and if you contend with unbelief, it must be your belief contending with the unbelief, right? Everyone who has to contend with unbelief should be advised that he ought not take his own unbelief too seriously. Only faith is to be taken seriously. And if we have faith as a grain of mustard seed, that suffices for the devil to have lost his game. You see, if faith is in us, that means that the Word of God has been begotten in us, a fruit of the Spirit in us. If it's eternal, incorruptible will of God, if that's what it is, if it's eternal, incorruptible will of God, well then, just a seed of that stuff is more powerful than all the principalities and powers of this world, more powerful than all the laws of nature, cause and effect, more powerful than all creation, all space and time, but not more powerful than God. For it is God in us. And so a Christian, a believer in this world, is like a, a prison of arrogance, fear, and self-centered plans, a prison of flesh that contains an eternal seed. Peter, before the rooster crows, your prison of arrogance will fail. But the seed, it will not fail. That night, according to plan, Peter's prison, his plans would fail. But the seed would not fail. He would give birth to faith, a new heart. You know, faith grows in broken soil, grows in empty places. And we give birth to faith in tribulation and travail. God troubles our prison of Flesh, he subjects us to, to trouble, and what cannot be troubled remains faith. Let not your hearts be troubled. 
I think that's a new heart. Let not, let not your hearts be troubled. You trust in God. In me, you trust. That's a transliteration. But maybe it even means by means of me, you trust. Next verse, verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. What's the Father's house? Well, it's the temple, right? It's the sanctuary, right? It's this new Jerusalem, right? And the new Jerusalem is a bride, and the bride is us. We're the Father's house. Uh, the Father's house. John describes it in Revelation, a house built of us. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. In other words, we're going to be there together. I'm leaving to prepare a place, but that place is in us. Verse 23, Jesus even says it. Um, uh, uh, the room that my father and I are going to live in, it's in you guys. Whoever believes, loves you, I mean, you can read it. Verse 23, perhaps Jesus leaves to grow faith, hope, and love in what feels like his absence, like, a, like an empty womb. Perhaps he leaves to make us long for his presence. Perhaps he leaves to prepare a place for him and us, a place for faith conceived within us. Whatever the case, he leaves in order that he might have us back forever. The Father's house is the sanctuary, the temple, the new Jerusalem, his bride, us, filled with him. His faithful, spirit-full, Jesus-full people on earth, his church. And it's coming down from heaven. Well, anyway, Jesus had said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build. I will build. I will build my, my church. I will build my church. I will build it on you. With you. Revelation 21.4. John even sees it. He and, he and Peter are part of the foundation. He sees it coming down. And that's just an, an amazing thought because, you know, we plan and we struggle and we fail. Peter worked so hard to build the church and he could not. And yet all the while, God was building the church with Peter. We work so hard to build Jerusalem and fail. And all the while, God builds Jerusalem with us. Revelation 21, John sees it coming down as all our empty works are filled with grace. As all our failures are forgive, for, for filled with forgiveness. As our wounds are filled with his mercy and his grace. As all our fears are replaced by faith. As all our anxious plans are consumed by his plan according to plan. And his plan is faith. Faith in grace. And faith is a good, free will. What if this entire world is like a factory for faith? A faith factory. What if the entire creation is a factory for free will? What if we are predestined for freedom? What if we are predestined to be made in the image of God? Predestined to choose love in freedom. Love in freedom. I don't think I'll wreck the movie if I tell you this. In fact, I think I'll even make it better. 
But at the end of the Adjustment Bureau, Matt Damon and Emily Blunt, they, they run from the agents of the Adjustment Bureau. They run to the top of this building where they decide to sacrifice all the plans, all their plans, plans to be famous choreographer, plans to be the president. They even violate the plans of the Adjustment Bureau. You know, human religion is kind of like an Adjustment Bureau, right? I mean, you will follow the plan. I don't care what you think or feel about it. You'll follow the plan. Well, anyway, they violate all, all the plans, uh, realizing that they will lose their lives. Matt and Emily sacrifice all the plans for just a moment, a moment of love in freedom. A kiss. It's not a plan. It's a choice. Free of all plans. Free of all consequences. Free of all antecedents. Free of this world. Free of space and time. Well, as the agents surround them and as they proclaim their decision, love at any cost, suddenly everything changes. All the agents disappear. And we find that God, the chairman of the Adjustment Bureau, was so impressed with their free decision of sacrificial love that God rewrote the plan. And you see, if you're a Christian, at that point you have to say, huh, and that was according to plan. The plan from before time. The plan to sacrifice all plans for love. Love at any cost. The plan from the foundation of the world to create one good choice in freedom. One good choice that would flood all of creation. One good choice that would become everyone's choice by grace. What if the entire creation is a factory for faith? Faith in grace. You know, in John's revelation, everything is predetermined. I mean, what the dragon does, what the beasts do, what the kings of the earth do, everything is predetermined. The only question is, what will these seven little churches do? And so it's like all creation is a stage in order to see God's choice uh, and surrender to his choice, to see the lamb standing on the throne and to love that lamb in the way that uh, that lamb has loved you. What if all creation is a factory for faith, faith and grace. In other words, let me put it this way. What if all creation is a factory for love in freedom? So every plan is part of a greater plan. And so every choice is fixed. Even your bad choices, especially your bad choices, fixed in order that we might see one choice and make one choice in freedom. I mean, what if all creation, cause and effect, powers of the earth, laws of nature are all a setup that we might see Jesus the Christ and we might love Jesus the Christ in freedom, that we might surrender all plans and that's the plan. That's the way. And you know the way to where I am going, says Jesus. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. The way and the destination. 
You see, the way is not a plan that I can control or manipulate or arrange. The way is not a plan. The way is a person. And God has arranged all things for us to surrender our plans to that person. All creation is a stage for a romance, not between Matt Damon and Emily Blunt, but between Jesus the Christ and you, his bride. In Scripture, all things happen according to plan in order that Jesus the Christ might be crucified according to plan, where on that cross he surrenders all plans and chooses love in freedom. Do you remember what happens on the cross? He cries out, my God, my God, why? Why? He did not know the plan. And yet he remained love. God's free love. From before there was time, before there were plans. You know, plans exist in time. He he is free of all plans, and yet he is the foundation of all plans. Jesus is the free will of God. He is the faithfulness of God, and he gives his very spirit to you, his free will to you. Well, that night, as the rooster crowed, Peter surrendered his fear, his flesh, his control. He surrendered all his plans and the plans of 1,500 years, the Israel, the Jews, the temple. He surrendered all of his control, but his faith did not fail. It grew. The seed grew. He couldn't build the church. He was the church, and Jesus was building him. Jesus is the way. Jesus had said, you cannot follow me now, but afterwards you will follow. You know, according to church history, Peter died in Rome, and according to legend, he died in this way. The Adjustment Bureau, the authorities of the day, cracked down on the church in Rome. And so Peter devised a plan, and he said to the church, he told the church to flee Rome. And so they were all fleeing Rome to avoid the persecution. And as Peter was running down the Appian Way out of Rome, he had a vision of Jesus. He said, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus looked at him as he passed him and said, Peter, I'm going to Rome to be crucified. And at that, Peter turned around and he ran as fast as he could back into the city where he was crucified upside down with Jesus. You go, that's no plan. What kind of plan is that? That's not a plan. It's not a plan. It's the way. Love at any cost. God at any cost. It's faith. Love, chosen in freedom, freedom from this entire world, love. And on that faith, the Lord builds his church. It is his church. And so on that night, which was the beginning of that day, when the earth shook and the sun refused to give light, on, the, on that night he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. All things have been arranged so that you would see this. The free and gracious will of God. And that his will will become your will. That's the plan. In fear, we make all sorts of plans. But God has a plan that we would no longer live in fear, but faith. That's the plan. And God's plans do not fail. So don't worry. Be happy. That's not a little song I wrote. It's a song God wrote and is writing in you. In Jesus' name, come to the table, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and worship him. Put some flesh on that faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Put some flesh on that faith. That's your life, that's the church. Well, maybe the Lord is saying to you kind of what he's saying to me. Close your eyes for just a minute. I think it's this. I think he's saying, I know what you will do tonight. Just as I knew what Peter would do that night. In fact, I know every sin you will ever commit. I know every failure you will ever experience. In fact, I knew them the day you were born. I knew them from the foundation of the world. I'm the God of space and time. I know. And I also know that you just came to my table. You listened to the word and you believed just a little bit. And you came to the table and you ingested a seed and I know the seed seems so small to you, but it's me. And I will do it. I have conquered. I will finish what I started. For this is my will to make you in my image. This is my plan and it will not fail. So don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry, for worry doesn't help you get to where you are going. I do. So look at me. You believe. And so in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, don't worry. Be happy.
In Jesus' name, amen. Hey there. I hope the message that you just heard or viewed helped you to believe a little more that God is better than you thought, the love of Jesus is deeper than you know, and the Spirit is everywhere working the wonders of mercy. If that's so, I'd love it if you would consider two things. Number one, ask yourself if there's someone that you know that might benefit from this message, and then uh, forward this link onto them. There are several ways that you can do that by visiting our website at thesanctuarydowntown.org. Secondly, I'd love it if you'd uh, take just a moment and uh, ask the Lord if He'd like you to contribute to this endeavor financially. We really can't do this except for the fact that God inspires people like you um, to give. And uh, you can do that by uh, going to the website and clicking on uh, the donate button or uh, by simply mailing a check to the Sanctuary downtown at uh, 2215 West 30th Avenue, Denver, Colorado 80211. Uh, thanks for being a part of what we're doing and God bless you.